Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. There were two more murders 15 miles well, away. Arrived, in the they found the telephone and electricity line here, described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Thanks to the rise in popularity, certain serial killers have come to light and become the topic of conversation. On December 18, 1948, a serial killer that now almost everyone knows was born. Today is the day that the co ed killer was born. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Edmund Kemper was born in Burbank, California on December 18, 1948. From the beginning, he was born into a dysfunctional home where his father would later claim that wartime suicide missions were more enjoyable than living with his wife. The two divorced when Edmund was young, and he was left to live with his neurotic, overbearing, and cruel mother. From an early age, the large-for-his-age boy exhibited troubling behavior like the torture and murder of pets. But even behind his hulking size and deep disturbances lie an extremely intelligent boy who would later use his smarts to outwit the criminal system. As an adult, he recollected childhood moments where he would decapitate and perform rituals on his sister's dolls, lurk around the neighborhood peeking into windows armed with his father's bayonet, and being locked in the basement by his mother because she feared he would harm his sisters. At 15, 
Edmund had enough of his mother and ran away to live with his father, whom, to his dismay, had remarried and had a stepson. He stayed with his father for a short while before being sent to live on a ranch in the mountains with his paternal grandparents. No one wanted this boy, and this only made his psychosis worse. On August 27, 1964, at just 15, Edmund shot his grandmother after an argument, waited until his grandfather returned, and shot him as well. The boy, unsure of what to do, called his mother who urged him to call the police. When they arrived to arrest him, they asked him why he would kill his caretakers. His response? He, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma, and that the death of his grandfather was to spare him from seeing his dead wife. Edmund was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and sent to a psychiatric hospital in California where he used his high IQ and charm to endear himself to the doctors. They liked him so much that they trained him to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates, a test he was able to learn how to manipulate and show that he was no longer a danger to society. He must have done a pretty good job because on his 21st birthday, he was released from the hospital and placed in the care of his mother once more. And by 1972, his records were completely expunged and he was able to enter society with a clean slate. The thing was, while in the hospital, he began to learn from sex offenders and other criminals how to commit the perfect crime. He, after being told he was too tall to become an officer, hung out at a local police bar and became known as a well-liked, friendly nuisance amongst police. By 1969, he started driving around and picking up hitchhiking women, around 150 according to Kemper, and letting them go in order to perfect the way he lured women and girls into his car. He knew what he was doing and was setting up his life to commit the perfect series of murders. He called his homicidal sexual urges little zapples, and in May of 1972, he finally acted on them. While driving in Berkeley on May 7, 1972, he picked up 18-year-old hitchhikers and college students, Mary Ann Peche and Anita Mary Lucasa, on the pretext of taking them to Stanford University. Instead, he drove them to a secluded wooded area with the intention to rape the girls. However, having learned from the rapist he met in the hospital to never leave witnesses, he handcuffed Mary Ann and locked Anita in the trunk. He then proceeded to strangle Marianne to death before taking Anita out of the trunk and doing the same to her. He then took both girls' bodies and returned to his apartment. On the drive, he was stopped by a police officer for a broken taillight. But good old Ed casually chatted with the officer while the dead bodies of two girls lie in his trunk. When he finally arrived back at his apartment, he photographed, raped, and dismembered the corpses before disposing of them near the Loma Prista Mountains. Before disposing of their heads, Kemper engaged in urumatio with both and then disposed of them in a ravine. In August, Marianne's skull was found, but after an extensive search, the rest of her remains and the remains of Anita were never found. Over the course of 11 months, Edmund Kemper killed and performed lewd acts on the bodies of six women. Five of these women were college students, and one was still in high school. Their names are Marianne Pesci, Aiko Ku, Cynthia Ann Shaw, Rosalind Thorpe, 
Anita Marie Lucasa, Alice Helen Liu. All of the women were picked up while hitchhiking. Police warned women to only get into cars with university stickers on them. A sticker that, due to his mother's job at the University of California, Santa Cruz, Ed had on his car. Each of the attacks correlated directly with outbursts and arguments with his mother, who, as we would later discover, was the true intended victim. And on April 20th, 1973, Edmund got his chance to commit the murder he always wanted to when his mother came home from a party and woke her son. He waited for her to fall asleep before beating her with a claw hammer and slitting her throat. He, just like he did with his other victims, decapitated her and engaged in irumatia with her head before using it as a dartboard and screaming at it for an hour. He then cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. Later, he called his mother's best friend, Sarah Taylor Hallett, and asked her to come over for dinner and a movie. When she entered the home, he strangled her to death, decapitated, and spent the night with her body. Kemper then fled the scene and drove to Pueblo, Colorado, all the while listening to the radio to hear if his mother and Sarah's bodies had been found. When he heard nothing, he found a phone booth and called the police to confess. Police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back later, which he did and asked to speak to an officer he knew personally who would believe him. He was arrested and confessed to all eight murders while in custody. He was indicted on eight counts of murder on May 7, 1973, and pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Using the McNaughton standard during trial, Edmund Kemper was found guilty on all accounts on November 8, 1971. Despite asking for the death penalty, he was sentenced to seven years to life for each count and sentenced to the California Medical Facility. Kemper is a model prisoner and has been given various responsibilities in prison, has become an accomplished craftsman, and a prolific reader of books on tape. He also became well known for his series of interviews with FBI profiler John Douglas that helped provide insight into violent criminals. Interviews that have been the subject of many books and popular television series. In 2015, he had a stroke and was declared medically disabled. Edmund Kemper has waived his rights to any parole hearings and lives happily in prison. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.